it's good to hear the kids excited about what's going on with Jesus. Not sure about you guys, but I am a little bit tired this morning. Um, this week has been um, a longer week, uh, lots of things going on, both in our country and in, uh, in the life of the church. I've been for the past three days um, down in San Clemente with um, church planters from Canada and Latvia and, uh, and in the Northwest and in from the Midwest and teaching and, and encouraging them and, and how, do we, how do we plant churches that are gospel-centered and, and about community. And so I've taught about seven times over the last couple of days, and so I'm a little bit tired. I got home at midnight last night, and then I'm leaving to go back um, as soon as I'm done here today. Um, so I want to pray, um, and then uh, we'll, uh, we'll jump into to what God has for us. Um, our Father, we thank you that, uh, that you love us. We thank you that... Um, your spirit empowers us, that we get to rest in the goodness of your grace, and that we get to rest in you doing the work and not us. And so, Lord, we ask today that as, as we open up your word, as we look at the book of John, that your spirit would speak to us, that your spirit would empower our hearts to understand and to listen and to learn, and that you would call us into a deeper understanding of your grace and your goodness to us. So, Lord, we pray that you would empower us today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in a series on the book of John, um, and last week we looked at uh, two stories of Jesus healing people, really as a demonstration of his power, as a demonstration of his grace, and a demonstration that, that he is God, that he's divine. And so what we see in this passage following that we're going to look at today um, in chapter 5, starting in verse 16, is that um, Jesus comes out and he specifically states that this is what he was doing when he healed these people, that he was demonstrating his power, his grace, and his divinity. And what happens is the religious leaders of the day, um, they catch what he's saying and they flip out because he's making himself equal to God. And so I want to look at this interaction that they have with one another, um, and then I want to draw out some implications and think about what it means that Jesus is actually God in the flesh. And so we're going to start reading in chapter 5, verse 16, but let me just give you a quick um, review as we're heading there, um, as you're looking it up. Um, one of the things we saw last week in the second healing prior to this is that where John tells us is Jesus is at the pool and he heals the man on the side of the pool and he does this on the Sabbath. He does it on the day of rest and, and he does it to point out uh, who he was and what he was doing here on earth. And we see here in verse 16 um, that the leaders uh, take a look at what's going on and, and they look over and the, and the fact that Jesus heals this guy on the Sabbath who had been an invalid for 38 years. Jesus completely changes this man's situation. His life goes from being unable to care and do anything for himself to a man that's able to now walk around and carry his bed. And rather than being amazed and excited about the change in this man, they get on him for actually carrying his bed around. They get on him for carrying his bed on the Sabbath. And he's like, the guy who healed me told me to pick this up. And like, he must have much more authority than you, so I'm going to listen to him. Um, he obviously cares more for me. And they're like, who did it? And he's like, I have no idea. And so then later on, we see Jesus come to him and he, he tells him who he is and he reveals to him who he is. And, and this man goes back and leaders interact and he, he, they find out that it was Jesus. And then the leaders come to Jesus um, and they go after him, which brings us to verse 16. And so that's where we are kind of in the story. Um, and this is what it says in John 5, starting in verse 16. 
And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Verse 17, but Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking to kill him, all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so the leaders understand what Jesus is saying here when he says, my father is working and now I'm working. They're saying, they, they're, they see that Jesus is saying he's equal with God. And what Jesus is saying in these verses, we talked about this a little bit briefly at the end of last week, but Jesus is saying, my father and I created this perfect world. It was a paradise and then we sat back and we rested. Not because we were tired, we stepped back to look at it and enjoy the perfect display of all of our glory revealed in our creative handiwork. That's really what the Sabbath is for, Jesus says. It's for restful, focused enjoyment of God, not just some time away from work. And so Jesus is saying, my father and I are no longer Sabbathing. Jesus is saying, we were Sabbathing. But then sin entered the world, and through sin came sickness and darkness and death and calamity. And from that moment on, my father and I have been at work again. We've been working in many ways that you don't see, that you don't understand, to really restore the Sabbath paradise to the universe. We've been working to overcome sin and the brokenness and the death that was caused. And even this idea, even this law that you're complaining about, Jesus is saying, that, that I healed this man on the Sabbath, not working on the Sabbath, is part of me actually working to conquer the sin and the darkness in this world. It's, it's me, the law was given to point forward to a Messiah, a Savior, who would come and perform this decisive act of restoration, a new transformation in the new heavens and a new earth. And so when I healed this man, I did it intentionally on the Sabbath. Jesus is saying, I'm showing you something about myself. What's happening at the pool of Beth, Bethesda was that me and my father were revealing to this what, what is coming to this world. That there will actually be a time when there will be no sickness and there will be no death. And there will be a world without sin. And my father and I are working on that right now. Whether you see it or not, this is my response to your accusations about my Sabbath breaking. My father and I are one. We created the world and we Sabbath, but since sin happened, we're no longer doing that. We've been working. We've been working to restore Sabbath. We're working to restore joy, wholeness to the rest of the world. And that's what I'm doing here. And that's what I'm going to do in the coming months, Jesus is basically saying. saying, the good news is that I will actually deliver a decisive victory. I will deliver a decisive victory at the cross. And when I rise from the dead, I will not only prove my power and my grace, but I will provide a way for healing and restoration to take place in the deepest part of your soul, not just in some man's physical condition. And so at this, in verse 18, the leaders we see go from from wanting to persecute Jesus to actually wanting to kill him because of his claims to be God. And so there's this transition um, for them. And what's great about John, and he does this often, is that he he makes sure that we don't miss things. So he kind of states it in a story, and then he goes back and says it again. Um, And so what he does here is he records for us what Jesus actually says to these leaders afterwards. Um, And and I want to read on in in verse 19. um, Because many people have said along the way, and many people still do say today, that Jesus is not God. There's been many religions that have been built 
all around the world that Jesus is just a good man, that he was just a good prophet, or he was just, he was just a good person that walked and did some good things and was a really good teacher, but he wasn't actually God. But if we look at verse 19 and following, that is not Jesus' testimony about himself. If you, if you ever want to understand what Jesus says about himself actually being God, these next 20 verses are like golden. So I want to, we want to kind of read those and work through. So verse 19, Jesus says this. So Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son cannot do anything from his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show you, so that you may marvel. For as the Father rises, raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given judge all judgment to the Son, that he may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice in the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has granted himself, he has granted him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus kind of talks about a bunch of stuff here, and then he goes on and talks about the validity of this testimony that he just gave here in verse 31. He says, If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. But there is another who bears witness about me. I know that testimony that he bears is about me is true. You sent to John, who has borne witness to this truth. Not that that testimony that I received is from man, but I'm saying these things so that you might be saved. If you remember back as we looked in verse, in chapter 1, um, we saw John the Baptist in the wilderness. And he's calling people to repentance. He's baptizing them. He's, he's, he's calling them to, to live a new life and, and follow, follow God. And the leaders of the time, the same leaders that are now with Jesus, come to John. They ask him who he is. And John says, I am the one who's crying out in the wilderness. I'm the voice crying out in the wilderness. And this is significant because it's a prophecy that all of the the leaders of the day and all the Jews would have known um, that this was a prophecy about the coming Messiah. That they were waiting for one that would come and rescue Israel. And, and the one in the wilderness, the voice in the wilderness, was the one who would come and announce the Messiah's arrival. And so John is saying, that's who I am. I'm the one that's coming before the Messiah. But even more significant than that, in Isaiah 40, this prophecy that John is actually quoting here, the Lord is the one whose path he's making straight. It's a a direct reference to God himself. In just a few verses later on, we'll see um, John meet Jesus there, and he declares that Jesus is the one who the voice that he was crying out for. 
And again, as he's doing that, he's telling everyone that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is actually God, by quoting from Isaiah. We see this same prophecy in Malachi 3.1, where God says, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way for me. Please don't miss that word, I and me. God is saying, I am coming. I'm sending one ahead of me to get ready hearts for me. But it is I who is coming. It is I who is doing the work. That's what he's telling us in Malachi. That's what these prophecies are saying over and over and over again. I am the one who's coming as the one to restore the brokenness. I'm the one who's coming to change hearts. No one else can do the work. No amount of laws, no amount of behavior modification is going to actually straighten out the problem. I am the one that's coming to do it, to grant life, just like Jesus just says here in verse 25, that he's the one that actually gives life. And so Jesus is telling them again here, these leaders, he's saying, I am God. John already told you that. I don't really need him to tell you that. I don't need his testimony to affirm that. But he already told you that. So don't miss the fact that now these miracles that I'm performing and that I will perform, what they say about me. It says that I am God. It's what I and the Father have been doing. The whole story of Scripture has been pointing to me. And so Jesus is saying that, and then specifically he goes on in verse 35, just make sure that no stone is unturned. He, he makes sure that he, he clears it up even again. He says this, he says, He was a burning and shining lamp. So he's talking about John. And you were willing to rejoice, in his, um, rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. Hear his voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. He kind of goes after him here. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people. But I know that that you do not have love of God within you. For I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not receive the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And so there's a lot of stuff in there, but Jesus really basically just lays a smackdown on them. He just is like, here you go. I'm not going to shrink back to these accusations. You, I'm not just going to let you think about them and mull over them. I'm going to actually, did, did he imply it? Did he really did he say that? You know, I'm going to unpack it for you. I'm going to tell you exactly what you're missing. And he unpacks it for them and he unpacks it for us. That really he is the God of the universe. Come to restore and to bring about new life and to bring wholeness. I want to point out a few things here as we think about um, there's a couple big points that Jesus is saying in, in these verses. In verse 19 and 20, um, he says that, that he and the Father are in perfect step with one another. 
They're in perfect synchronization. It's almost like when you're in a car. Well, does anybody drive a clutch? Maybe that's not a bad example. Some of you do. When, when you have the clutch, there's different gears that are going on, and you have to push in the clutch in order to mesh them up to go to the next one. And Jesus is saying, we're in complete synchronization. He's saying, if you take a look at the second half of verse 19, he says, whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. This is different than Jesus saying that he chooses to do some of the things he sees the Father doing. He says, whatever the Father does, whenever the Father acts, Jesus acts. There's an essential connection, a union, where they're in step with one another all the time. But this isn't just a one-way street. We see in verse 22 that it goes the other direction, that the Father actually acts in step with the Son. It says this in 22, The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Now that may be kind of confusing as you read both of those together, that the Father judges no one, just His own. Um, the, but the Father, what he's saying is the Father doesn't go off on His own without any reference to, to the Son to judge the world. He doesn't, he doesn't judge like that. And Jesus doesn't act alone, and the Father doesn't act alone. What this also means is that, um, is that the Son, Jesus, not the Father, is actually the front line when it comes to the standard of judgment. I think usually when we think about God the Father and we think about Jesus, we think about Jesus as the, as the loving one and we think about the Father as the one who's bringing down the hammer. Right? We think we, uh, maybe we kind of put them in those categories at times. But what these verses are actually pointing to um, is that it says, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent them. So if people honor Jesus for who he really is, then God... The Father is honored for who He really is. So in a sense, all judgment is really given to Jesus, the Son. So what people make or decides of Him will decide their final judgment. But that's, that's because what they make of Him is really what they make of God. Because they're one and the same. And that's what Jesus is saying here. So, so the Father really isn't the front line. Jesus is the standard for judgment. Rather, and He's in perfect step with the Son's judgment. The Father's in perfect step with the Son's judgment because the one who doesn't honor the Son really doesn't honor the Father, doesn't honor God Himself. This isn't the only place that we see this in Scripture. Actually, all over Scripture, we teach it, it teaches that, that Jesus is not merely someone who is a lot like God or someone who is very close to God or someone who, who kind of walked with God or followed a lot of God's precepts, rather it says that Jesus is the most high God himself. Titus 2.23 says this, um, it says, as Christians, we're looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Later on in John, we'll see after Jesus rises from this dead, his disciples recognize that that Jesus is actually God. And Thomas comes to him and he cries out and he says, My Lord, my God. In, in Luke 3, at Jesus' baptism, what we see in, in John 1, we see all three persons of the Trinity. Jesus is coming out of the water in human form. We see the Spirit uh, in bodily form like a dove. And we see the Father giving testimony about who Jesus is. He says, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He's saying again, This is my Son. He is God. In Hebrews, God the Father again gives testimony about Jesus. He says, but the son, this is what he says to the Son. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. He's saying, 
Jesus is the Son of God and His throne never ends. Another way the Bible teaches this idea that, that Jesus is actually God is by showing that Jesus has all the attributes of God. That He knows everything. That He's everywhere. That He has all power. That, that He depends on nothing outside of Himself for life. It says that He rules over everything. That, that He never had a beginning or an end. He, he, he's always, he's always never, he, there never was a time where He didn't begin to exist. He never ceased. In other words, Jesus is God. He is the God man. He's 100% God. He's fully God and he's fully man. He's 100% God, 100% man. So as we think about this idea that, that Jesus gives testimony of this and the rest of scripture gives testimony that, that Jesus is actually God, I want to ask a question as you think about this. What are the implications for that in your life? Why is it important that Jesus is actually God? If you're new with us, when I ask a question, you get to answer. And so this is a time for you to think out loud. Um, so, so what are the implications of this? What, what are the implications of Jesus actually being God? Why is this important? Has authority. What he says has authority. Yeah. Has authority. It's trustworthy. It's, yeah. it's something that we can rely on and follow what he says. Yeah, good. What else? Yeah, it gives us a perfect example of what it looks like as a human to actually bring glory to God all the time, which was our original design, the way God designed us from the very beginning. Yeah, good. What else? Yeah, if Jesus isn't God, his death is useless. His death is nothing. It's just like any other person that's ever died on this planet if he isn't God. Yeah, that's good. What else? It demonstrates the character of God, right? And His graciousness that He would actually come to us as His people and die for us, but not just die, rise again so that there would be hope. Yeah, good. Good. What else? He knows our needs and knows what it did. Yeah, yeah. As Jesus being 100% man, He wasn't devoid of understanding and knowing how we as humans feel. And so we, we have someone we can relate to completely. Yeah shows that God the Father is faithful and that he fulfilled specific prophecy from the Old Testament and that he came and actually dwelt among us. Yeah, God didn't just like say these things back in the Old Testament and like, ah, well, no one's really going to check if I did all of them or not. Like it actually makes God's words trustworthy because Jesus comes and fulfills those things. Yeah, good. Good, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it means that God can be known. That is really good news, isn't it? We have a God of the universe that, that wants to know us, that comes and gives us hope that we can actually know Him and walk with Him. Yeah, that's really good news. Yeah, what else? We know He loves us because He came and died for us. But if Jesus is God, not only did He come and take on pain and people rejecting Him and death, but He also put Himself in the constructs of time this being who had been completely outside of time and knowing everything came and had to sleep and had to eat and had to do all these things that must have been just really difficult after living the way he had been. And so I feel like that is even a beautiful picture of his love and his sacrifice for us. It's his day-to-day existence as human and God. Yeah, we see him as the true servant, right? Yeah, like scripture says that he came in the form of a servant. That's a human. 
That's our job. We're actually servants. That's why we talk about, that's on that side, that one of our identities is that we're actually servants. And Jesus comes in the form of a servant and serves us as the God of the universe. And, the, and that's not just something that was easy to do. That, that is true humility. And so he shows us what it looks like to walk in true humility. Yeah, good. It gives us hope for the future and the everyday. Yeah, yeah. So you think about that in the everyday. How does this, not just theoretically, like the things we talk about, change us? What are the implications of Jesus actually being God in the everyday in your life right now? Go for it, man. You're on a roll. I mean, I think the most relevant one is we don't freak out when Donald Trump gets Yeah. he's just a man. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep, exactly, exactly. When I, the next day, when I woke up, the sun came up. And then it went back down and the sun came back up again. Because God is still on the throne. And Jesus is the one that actually sets up kings and rulers. So he's actually the one that's sovereign. He's actually God. It doesn't matter. We don't put our faith in, in our trust and hope for change in a government. We put our hope and trust in, in change of actually the God of the universe. Yeah, good. What else? How else does it apply into the everyday that God... Jesus is actually God. Saying about frees us up to be servants. So, especially in the aftermath of all of this, like it frees us up to set any of our whatever aside and just love and serve whoever needs to be served and loved in that moment. Yeah, yeah. When His good work defines us, we no longer are striving in our own, and so we're free to then serve. Yeah, good. Yeah, Jesus is a reminder that we have a loving Father that always gives us what we need and gives us the good gifts so that we would then see Him and glorify Him. Yeah, and even in the midst of hard things, like Jesus walks in hard things, we walk in hard things as well, knowing that, that God of the universe loves us and cares for us. And we have a dad that, that says over and over again and pursues us over and over again and says, I love you, you're my beloved son, you're my beloved daughter. I love you, I love you. Yeah. Good. Well, bring this up to very conflict because, you know, he was perfect and what happened to We don't waste our energy when people start, you know, uh, getting like, us or doing whatever. It's like we expect it so we can stay moving and stay grounded rather than, oh my God, is it like this thing? See, I'm trying to do good and, you know, getting all caught in drama makes you see because. Yeah. That, we're going to get it. It gives us a confidence and a hope, but also a perspective to view all things in life from. Yeah. yeah. He gives us examples, but the good news of Jesus is he says that I'm sending another one, and the same one that led Jesus, that walked with Jesus, that, that Jesus walked in completely step with, that lived his whole life in, the Spirit now lives inside of us. And so we don't just get to look at Jesus' example and strive at it. He actually gives us the Spirit to actually walk in those things. Yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah. There are so many 
ramifications for this in your life, in the everyday, in every moment probably. We could talk about this for hours upon hours. Um, but, and, and as you think about this, by the way, this is also a good way to test other people's relationship with God. Other people's teaching and other churches. Do they honor Jesus for who he truly is? is? Do they honor Jesus for the divine Son of God, the Messiah, the crucified, the risen Savior of the world, the Lord of the universe, the judge of all human beings? If they don't, then they don't honor God. If they're not teaching that, if you're not hearing that when people are, are sharing with you, they're believing or teaching some other false gospel. And it's an opportunity for us to actually point them back to the truth that Jesus is actually God. Because the good news is that these things that Jesus said about himself and the things that scripture talks about himself and the things that Jesus demonstrated is that Jesus, that these things are true. Jesus is who he said he was. Jesus is who he proved he was. Verse 24 says this, reminds us of implication of the truth. It says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. The good news is that when the Spirit changes our hearts to understand and believe this truth, that we not only have eternal life, but we already have it. It's not just something to come, it's something we already have. It's, it's not, not only will you come into judgment, you're no longer condemned, but you've already passed through judgment and you're safe on the other side. The good news is that Jesus being God, it means that he has become judgment for us. When we're united to him in faith, his death becomes our death. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. His crucifixion becomes our crucifixion. His curse on the cross becomes our curse on the cross. His new life becomes our new life. We've already passed from death into life. And this is really glorious, great, amazing news beyond all words. Beyond anything that I could ever paint a picture for you of. Know this about yourself. That if you are a believer, you are a new creation. You've been given a new identity. You've been sent now to proclaim that you have life. And it's right here, right now, and also in the future. The good news is, as we think about Jesus doing this on the Sabbath, is the good news is that you get the Sabbath now. You get to rest and sit back and look at the glory of Jesus and the God of the universe as you restfully focus and enjoy God in every circumstance, whether it is hard or good or whatever it is. You're watching the work of God accomplish the things that He set out to do at the beginning of time in restoring this world. And so you get to rest, you get the Sabbath as you watch and work alongside of Jesus. So when we find ourselves not resting in that or not believing that actually Jesus is the God of that situation that you're in right now. What we do is we turn and we repent and we refocus our worship on the one true God. We take our our faith and our focus off of what other other God we're placing it in and we walk in faith and Sabbath and rest in a new way. Trusting Jesus is actually the good provider. That he's the one that's actually in control. That he knows the pain of all humans. And he's given us life 
And he's given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Because he is the God of the universe who has the ability to do that. I don't know about you, but for me, that's really good news. It's really good news, even as we think about everything that may be going on in your life, everything that's going on in the world, and everything that you hope would happen in the future. God has come to us in the form of Jesus and has called us and given us new life. And Jesus truly is God. He's trustworthy. What God says is true. And you can believe it and you can live your life through it and you can define your identity through what God says about you. Our Father, we thank you for the good news that Jesus was not just some good man. The good news that he wasn't just some being that that talked a lot of good stuff and lived some good things alongside it. Oh, we thank you. The, the good news is that Jesus is actually God. That the things that he says we can trust. That the things that he defines and says about us are true. That we no longer have to believe the lies of those that would say something else about us, whether that is someone from the outside or our own hearts that would lie about who we truly are. Father, we thank you that we get to live in a new hope. We get to live in an identity defined by the God of the universe, given to us through the Son of the universe and empowered in us through the Spirit of the universe. So Father, we thank you that you love us so great that you would actually humble yourself And come and do this for us. Lord, I pray as we continue in worship and as we go to communion that you would remind our hearts of that. That you remind us often throughout the week, often throughout this month. And that we would be people that proclaim new life. That we're people that have been given life to proclaim that we have life. So Lord, I pray that you would empower us even more to live in the good news that you are God. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.